uh, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8. And uh, we have been studying the uh, Baptist distinctives uh, the last several weeks, and <clears throat> tonight we're going to continue with that. Um, <clears throat> the local church has been given two ordinances. And that's a big fancy uh, theological word for uh, tasks, if you would. Uh, what are the, does anybody know what the, the two ordinances are? Okay, yes, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, tonight, uh, we are going to be talking about baptism. Next week, we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. And in fact, we're going to be having the Lord's Supper uh, next week. Bob, you just got notified. Okay. <laughs> So next Sunday evening, we're go- I'm going to be teaching on the Lord's Supper next week, Lord, Lord willing, uh, and then afterward we'll be partaking in the Lord's Supper uh, after, after the service, so, or at the end of the service. Uh, but tonight we're going to be talking about baptism. Now before we do that, I want to I talk about <clears throat> the ordinances. We live in a world today where... Hardly anything is sacred anymore. <clears throat> there are churches in our country today, I imagine around the world, but I know of in our country today, that for the Lord's Supper, they will use potato chips and, and Coca-Cola. Uh, that is sacrilege. You know, we, we have been specific, and I'll get into that next week. It is very specific what we are supposed to do. And why we are supposed to do it. Uh, baptism has been become another thing that um, <clears throat> has been uh, almost become a ritual or a a um, oh okay you know yeah we'll go ahead and baptize you because the Bible says to but there's never any emphasis on it. Now let me ask you a question: If there are only two ordinances given to the church by God himself, do you not think that they are important? Absolutely they're important. Now, who has, and this is, this is kind of splitting theological hairs, but it's important. Who has those ordinances been given to? The local church. Not, not me as an individual, not me as a pastor, but it, they, these ordinances have been given to the church to carry out. And I want to I share something with you that, I, I, that oftentimes people look at me and they, they think, you're, you're kidding, really? How many of you know that I go out to the Lovelock prison and occasionally will baptize some of the prisoners? Okay, most of you know that. <clears throat> I also go out and administer the Lord's Supper. Now, has God given <clears throat> the Love Lock Correctional Institution the authority to do those two things? No. no. How many of you remember in a business meeting back many, many years ago, I came to the church and asked for your permission as an extension of Grace Baptist Church to do those things. Why? Because I, I don't have the right 
on my own to administer something that God calls sacred. And I do that in the authority of this this church. Now, it, it sounds like splitting a theological hair, and it, it may be, but I'm here to tell you, it's important to God, and it should be important to us. <clears throat> so we're going to be talking about baptism tonight. So we're, we're going to talk about some pretty deep stuff. Uh, you know, uh, you're visiting with us tonight, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but I'm not sorry, because this is important stuff. Uh, we need to know what we believe about this stuff. And the word baptism, baptize, you know, all of the the type of words that come off of that comes from the Greek word baptizo. Now, the word, when when you go, we got an expert here and and one back here. So I'm going to be picking on Candy and Orlando tonight, okay, because... How many languages do you speak? Four. Okay. I don't even speak one. Um, Candy, how many? Just two. Okay. So correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, There there is what we call translation, and then there's transliteration. Am I right? Okay. Candy, what is translation? Translation. Yeah, English to Spanish, Spanish to English. Okay, okay, translation is, okay, in, in English, th- this is called a, a Bible. In Spanish, it would be a, a Biblia. Okay, <clears throat> now, the word Biblia is not a translation. It's a transliteration. Okay, and I'll, I'll explain that here in a minute. Because it's important we understand this. <clears throat> but if you were to, um, if I were to give you instructions on how to to make a, a I don't know, a meatloaf. What I love meatloaf, especially my wife. My wife's meatloaf is oh. okay. <clears throat> you would have to translate that recipe from English to Spanish or or, or vice versa, right? Okay. So, most of the words that we see in in our Bible have been translated. We get the meaning of the words. Agape is a good example. Okay. It translates in the King James as charity or love. Okay. It's agape. That, That word has been translated. Biblia, or in this case, baptism, has been transliterated. Anybody know what that is? It's no letter for letter. Okay. <clears throat> Typically, this happens with names, uh, like a Biblia would be a, a name. Okay, because <clears throat> the uh, the Bible or the Biblia, it, it doesn't describe what it is. It, it, it identifies it. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> you want to put up the picture? This is the Greek word. The top word is the Greek word uh, baptizo. 
do you see the transliteration that has taken place letter to letter? If you were to, and I, I wish I had thought of this. Uh, hey, Chris, can you get on the internet and look up the word uh, Christos? It's uh, it's the Greek word for for uh, Christ. <clears throat> See if we can find it. But anyway, what happens is when when the when the translators translated the Greek to English back in 1611. They transliterated this word instead of translating it. Does that make sense? So, does anybody know what the word means? Immersion, to immerse or, or to, to... Did you find it? Okay. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Do you see... This, well, this is not Christ, but this is, this is the Greek word... For, for Christ, Christos. <clears throat> little little side note here. Um, have you ever seen around Christmas time <clears throat> the Merry Xmas? Yeah. You, this is where it came from. It's not as bad as people think it is. The, 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 the X is the capital for what we would call a C. Uh, but anyway, so this is the capital form uh, of the word Christ. So it's not as bad as you think. It's still, I want to say this though, that the heart of the individual who does it makes the difference. Okay, but that's originally where it came from. Just, just saying. So, so this is a trans. So now, do you understand the difference between a translation and a transliteration? Okay, if you were to transliterate my name into Spanish, it comes out Ricardo, right? Right, Kenny? Did I say it right? See, si. si. yeah. What would it be in Portuguese? Passy. I'm sorry. Passy. Oh, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Over here, you got a. You know, you know over here. <laughs> Okay. Yes, yeah, spit a little when you speak Portuguese. Okay. <clears throat> That's why when you're speaking Portuguese, you stand far away from each other. Okay. Um, okay. So it's important that we get understand the difference between a translation and a transliteration. And and, and you could be sitting here thinking, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's a really it's a big deal because when the when the when King James authorized the 1611 Bible that we we don't actually have the 1611 by the way. Yeah, that, yeah, you can't you can't even read it. Um, <clears throat> the authors well, let, let me back up. <clears throat> what church did, did did the king belong to? Okay? Now, the Church of England. Okay, which is Catholic. Okay, it's but it's still it's the Church of England. What did the Church of England practice when it comes to baptism? Sprinkling. So when the when the when the guys <laughs> when the guys came to the word baptism or to baptize, they transliterated the word because they did not want the translation to affect the political climate. You know, 
So it's important that we understand what's going on here. So the definition of the word identifies what it is. It is immersion, and it always has been and always will be. Based on the definition alone, we know what baptism should be. Okay, So Acts chapter 8, <clears throat> let's start reading in verse 26. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south and uh, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority uh, under Candace, queen of Ethiopia, uh, uh, who had the charge of all her treasure uh, and uh, had come to Jerusalem for worship, was returning and, and sitting in his chariot, uh, reading uh, Isaiah, or uh, the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Uh, then the Spirit <clears throat> uh, said uh, unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And said, Understandest thou what, what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man uh, guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Uh, uh, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb was uh, dumb before the shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, uh, and... Uh, who shall declare his generations for his life is taken from, from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Uh, now let's stop here. I have always thought that is such a cool setup. You know, I mean, that is, I mean it, it, he asked the absolute perfect question for Peter, right? So Peter goes on. In verse 35, And Peter opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as uh, they went their way, they came unto a certain uh, water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so very much for this day. Thank you for your love. And Lord, I want to thank you for, for this important responsibility that you've put on the local church, and that is to baptize. Help us, dear God, uh, to walk with you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was in a discussion one time with a man that <clears throat> uh, his brother was a very, very, very liberal Theologian uh, has a, had a, a DR, you know, doctors and a whole bunch of other things behind his name, and and his brother believes in infant baptism, and and uh, he was arguing, this guy was arguing with me, telling me that his brother has told him that infant baptism is is the way to baptize, and I and I brought this passage up, and and he said, well, my brother told me that the reason they went that. <laughs> They went down into the water and then he sprinkled them. Really? Are you kidding me? 
I finally, at that point, I knew I had lost the argument, okay? Because anybody who could believe that has got, yeah, there's some, there's some, there's something ain't connecting up, up top, okay? <clears throat> so anyway, sprinkling has never been a, a, an accepted form, if you read all through the New Testament, nowhere, nowhere is sprinkling ever used, Nowhere. Now, <clears throat> I want to I want to bring up a couple of issues that are important, and that is false teaching concerning baptism. There, there's there are two main false teachings out there. The first one is baptismal regeneration. Okay, again, we're going to talk big theological terms here. <clears throat> but but does anybody know what baptismal regeneration is? Uh, no. Nobody nobody knows. Okay, let me let me let me read you a definition that I found I felt is very very thorough in the answering of what is baptismal regeneration. The answer. Baptismal regeneration is the belief that baptism is necessary for salvation. Okay? Okay? Or, more precisely, that regeneration does not occur until the person is, is uh, water baptized. Okay? So if you, if you pray and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior at point A, and you don't get baptized for 20 years, you're not saved until you get baptized. Okay? That, that's, that's um, okay. <clears throat> so, we're, and we're going to get deeper in this, okay? <clears throat> Baptismal regeneration is a tenet of numerous Christian denominations, but is most uh, strenuously promoted by churches uh, of the Restoration or the Reform Reformation Movement, specifically the Church of Christ and the International Church of Christ. They, they believe this, that you cannot be saved unless you are baptized. And my question is the most obvious. What about the thief on the cross? I'm sure they have some theological twisting that they do for that. Um, or what happens when a person gets saved on their deathbed? The battlefield. You know, there's 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 no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. I mean, there's a you know, uh, <clears throat> there's a lot of problem here. Did I see a hand, Rick? That, that would be a question for somebody at a higher pay grade than me. Okay. Um, let, me, let me continue. Advocates of baptismal regeneration point to Scripture verses, and I'm going to read these out, and I'm going to read one of them as an example. Um, uh, uh, Mark 16.16, 16, John 3.5, Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, Galatians 3.27, and 1 Peter 321 for biblical support and granted these verses seem to indicate that baptism is necessary for salvation however 
There is biblical and contextual, and this is this is key. There is contextual sound interpretations of these verses that do not support baptismal regeneration. Okay? Now let me read one of the verses that they that they use. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Then Peter said unto them, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, <clears throat> and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> okay? Do you see how they can make an argument out of this? Okay? But... <laughs> you can't okay one of the things that you cannot do in theology is single out a single verse and and build a doctrine around that you've got to get the context of what was going on now very simply what was going on people were getting saved and getting baptized the two they're they're not they're not related But because of the bang, bang, bang wording here, when you take a verse out of context, you can do just about anything with it. <clears throat> so that is baptismal regeneration. I'm sorry? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it absolutely it is. Okay, so that is that is the first false teaching concerning baptismal. The second one we've talked about already, but it's interesting. Well, it's 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 infant baptism. Okay, infant baptism. Now now think about this. <clears throat> if Baptismal regeneration is accurate, which it's not, but if it was, what is the logical progression? The logical progression is the sooner you get baptized, the quicker you can be saved. Okay, that's the logical progression. So what happened was over time, Infant baptism was born out of baptismal regeneration. Because the sooner I can baptize my kid, the, the better off, the better chance he has of making it to heaven. Because baptism now is an essential part of salvation. So, hence the birth, if you would, of infant baptism. Does that make sense? Candy. Exactly. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so, churches, denominational churches, mainline denominational churches, Catholics, Methodists, uh, Episcopalians, and the list goes on and on and on. What do they do? They do that very thing. Why? Because it, it, it ensures their loyalty to that church. 
You get baptized into the church, right? Yes, and it makes parents feel better, and you end up getting a godparent out of it, and all of that good stuff, which I'm about to say something probably going to really mess you up, but but nowhere in Scripture, godparent, that, that's, that, that's a man-made thing. Okay, yes. It, it, in my in my understanding, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Let me let me read you the the definition of infant baptism. <clears throat> there is much confusion about baptism in in various Christian denominations. However, this is not a result of Bible presenting a confusing message on baptism. Okay, it's not the Bible's fault that there's confusion in the religious world today. The Bible is clear. Okay, in fact, he goes on. Uh, The Bible is adamantly clear of what baptism is, who it's for, and what is accomplished. The Bible, uh, excuse me, in the Bible... Only believers who have put their faith in Christ were baptized as a public testimony of their faith and indication, uh, excuse me, and identification with Him. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, which we're getting ready to read, and Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Water baptism by immersion is a step of obedience after faith in Christ. It is a uh, proclamation of faith in Christ. It is a statement of submission to him and an identification with his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen. I, I, I came across these definitions. I'm like, dude, it sounds like I wrote them. But, uh, but I didn't have to. I just cut, cut and paste. I mean, it's awesome. I love technology sometimes. <clears throat> He goes on, with this in view, infant baptism is not a biblical practice. An infant cannot place his or her faith in Christ. An infant cannot make a conscious decision to obey Christ. An infant cannot understand what baptism symbolizes. The Bible does not record any infant being baptized. Uh, infant baptism is the or is the origin of uh, sprinkling and pouring method of baptism, as it uh, is unwise and unsafe to immerse an infant in water. Yeah, that that would not do too good, would it? <clears throat> uh, even the meth uh, the method of infant baptism fails to agree with the Bible. How does pouring and sprinkling uh, illustrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It it can't. It can't. So, why is baptism so important? Why, Why am I, right now, making such a big deal of this? Somebody out here may be thinking, what's the big deal? Well, it is, in, in actuality, it's a huge deal. Okay, Charity, what would you say? There you go. 
There you go. <clears throat> now, I'm going to read you something that you may not be aware of, but <clears throat> we have these books available in the bookstore uh, for a dollar, I think, right? <clears throat> it's called The Trail of Blood. And if you, if you do not own a copy of this book, uh, you need to get a copy of this book. Uh, <clears throat> it, it traces the, the church from modern day all the way back to Christ. It's an incredible book. <clears throat> you think, wow, that's such a small book. Well, the print is really small. <laughs> but the author of this, one of the reasons I like this book, it is just fact after fact after fact after fact, dates, times, places, and, and so on. It, it's an incredible resource uh, for you if you're interested in church history, which I hope you are. But I, I want to read you something here uh, that, that should help you understand my insistency of baptism being so important. You may not be aware of some of the stuff I'm about to read. <clears throat> Baptismal regeneration and infant baptism. These two errors have, according, according to the testimony of well-established history, caused the shedding of more Christian blood as the centuries have gone by than all other errors combined. Let me reread part of that. <clears throat> uh, uh, has the, the shedding of more Christian blood as the centuries have gone by than any other errors, errors combined. And then we'll leave out... Uh, oh, okay, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, and then uh, possibly have all the wars not uh, connected with persecution except World War II. If you take all the wars, the world wars that have ever taken place from World War I and, and back, more Christians have been killed over these two issues than, than the, the, the men that have died in, in those wars. Now, I'm going I'm to give you a number here that's going to blow your mind. But it's, it's a proven factual number. This is not a made-up number. This, these numbers can be verified. Over 50 million, 50 million Christians died martyrs' death mainly because of their rejection of these two errors. During the period of the Dark Ages, along about the 12th and 13th century, three significant facts for, the mo for a large majority of uh, of the churches um, of many of many churches are clearly shown in the history during the first three centuries. These are the three things that the, that the Christians got martyred for. Number one, the separate uh, separateness of independence of churches. We've already talked about that. The autonomy of the local church. Nobody has a right to come into our church and tell us how to worship. The second thing they were martyred for, 
the subordinate character of bishops or pastors. Basically, as a pastor, I answer to nobody but God. There is not a bishop that can come in and tell me how to preach and what to do. And the third one is baptism for believers only. Our Christian, our Christian brothers and sisters have paid the price over this idea of baptism. Thousands upon thousands, millions of Christians have been martyred for the simple reason that they would not accept infant baptism from the Catholic Church and the Methodists and the Episcopals and all that. And, it, and these numbers are, are very easy to be proven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Now what happens to these two verses if baptismal regeneration is accurate? It's works. You you just nullified the blood of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, the blood of Christ is worth dying for. And millions of our forefather Christian believers have done just that. I tried to find the story. I, I, I looked and I looked and I couldn't find it. But throughout history, there have been countless, countless believers who have been rebaptized, what their torturers would call rebaptizing. And, and, and by the hundreds, they would take Christians out in boats, tie rocks and anchors around their necks and throw them overboard. And that's how they died. For the right to practice what they believe the Bible says. And I'm telling you, it's coming to America. It's coming. And it's coming faster than you think. Let's look at Verse 38 of our passage. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down, both of them, into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. He didn't sprinkle them. He immersed them. Is there anything that we can do to earn salvation? No. No. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things of silver and gold for your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers, but what? With the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, we flippantly go through the motions of baptism. You know, I have I have aught with many of my independent Baptist pastor friends. Many of them have have gone and purchased uh, for their churches baptismals where 
they actually stand outside the baptismal and and baptize the individual <clears throat> without getting wet. They, they don't want to get wet. Now, I have to admit, when I go to the prison, that's how I have to baptize because that's what's available. But <clears throat> I hope to God I never do that. Why is that? Every, every person in Scripture that got baptized, both the baptizee and the baptizer were in the water. And it's like our preachers are afraid to get wet anymore. What is wrong with that? I, I Don't even get me started on it. <laughs> the history that our Christian forefathers have laid down for us is a bloody history. They have paid the price to stand for right. And, and again, baptism is, is something that many people think, oh, what's the big deal? Just baptize them. You know, I, I want to say this. I won't say who it was, but that's okay. I had a father of somebody in our church come to me recently. Uh, they have a, a, a child in our, in our church, and uh, this, this little person uh, got saved uh, within the last year or so, I, the calendar, not, not calendar year, but in the last 12 months. And he says, what do you think about baptizing my child? And so we sat down and we talked and I said, hey, I have no problem. Nowhere, nowhere in scripture does it say that you cannot baptize a child. In fact, the Bible says you get saved and you get baptized. But it's important that the child understands what he's doing or he or she are doing. So I said to the parent, I said, look, I said, I have no problem baptizing your, your child. I said, but the little guy needs to understand X, Y, and Z. And he said, oh, I've already been teaching him that. And he knows all that. I said, well, then let's get him baptized. Why? Because... We had, a, we had another family in the church. They've long since moved away. <clears throat> but they got upset at me because I would baptize a seven or eight-year-old. And, and the thinking in the home was that you have to be 13. Now, where did that come from? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a, it goes back to the old age of accountability. There was a theological argument back many, many years ago. What was the age of accountability? And somehow they came up with 13. What? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's nuts. But anyway, and so this individual had some serious heartache over the fact I would baptize somebody that young. But there's, there's nothing that says anything about that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. In the mid-1800s, there was a movement formed called Pentecostalism. Okay, now, now get this. Around 1750s, okay? So, 
from the first century church to the mid-1700s, how long is that? It's 1,750 years. Okay, it's a long time. It's 1,750 years. Through Pentecostalism, two major doctrinal errors came out of Pentecostalism. The first one is the error of Arminianism. Anybody know what Arminianism is? Okay, again, that's another theological word. Basically, what that teaches is that you can lose your salvation. Okay? The second doctrine uh, that came out of this movement is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? (laughs) And so very quickly, I'm running out of time. I should have already been done. Um, and I've got three pages yet to go. Um, you ready? Hey, just ordering pizza, Chris. <laughs> no, I'm serious. No, uh, let, let me kind of hit on these because th- this is really super important that we get a hold of this. Baptism of the Holy Spirit was was n- was n- not in existence for 1,700 years. And now all of a sudden it becomes a major uh, theological uh, uh, position in a church. <clears throat> so that in itself tells you they're, they're, they got rocks in their heads. You know, if it took 1,700 years to find it in Scripture, then something's wrong. Okay, <clears throat> just saying. But what, what, is, what is baptism in the Holy Spirit? Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the belief or the teaching that a second baptism is needed to receive the spiritual gifts. Uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I'm telling you, in our our churches across America today, it is rampant. Uh, Pentecostal, uh, the charismatics, the anybody who speaks in tongues, because that is one of the spiritual gifts that you need to be baptized in order to receive. Okay. <clears throat> huh? Yeah, according to them, right. Um, now, <clears throat> it is the gifts that we assign as sign gifts. Okay? There are gifts that we receive when we're saved. Uh, hospitality. Um, come on, help me. I'm, I'm just totally drew a blank. Administration teaching, preaching, and so on and so forth. There were three in that list that are considered sign gifts. Okay? Uh, That would be speaking in tongues, um, prophecy, and healing. Okay? Now, Benny Hen would absolutely disagree with what I'm about to say. Okay? (laughs) Those sign gifts are gone. Okay, now the other gifts we still get when we get saved. Now, what was the purpose of the sign gifts? Okay, well, it was, okay, the sign gifts were, were specific. That's why, that's why they're no longer operational. Okay, it was about the Jews. How did the Jews live? They lived by signs, signs and wonders. 
So tongues and all of that was all part of that. How, how are we in the New Testament church supposed to live? By faith. And sign gifts would, would nullify faith, would it not? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We are to walk by faith, not by sight. In, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, this is a key verse that is important to understand. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, or, uh, uh, yeah, and, and, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and the Spirit giving them utterance. Now, I want to say a couple of things here really quick. Number one, the word tongues literally means languages. Okay? Yes, Candy and Orlanda speak in tongues. It is. It was a known language. It was not what we in 21st century Christianity call tongues. 21st century uh, American uh, Christians, uh, it's gibberish. Yeah, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I never thought of that. Okay, so number one, it was a language. It was not some unknown something or other. And then there were guidelines, very specific guidelines for them to be used. And again, those guidelines are always violated in the, in the local churches that, that practice tongues. Just saying. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Again, another very key verse in, in, this, in this conversation of sign gifts. Charity never faileth, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease, and whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Takes care of the three sign gifts that for 1,750 years, the church never practiced. Now, just curious, who would be behind something like that? Satan. I don't think I don't think God would be involved in that. Anyway, so <clears throat> let's wrap this thing up very quickly. What is what baptism is not? It is not sprinkling. It is not necessary for salvation. <clears throat> um. So what is it? It is a step of obedience to demonstrate what Christ has done in your life. Amen. The, the outward ex- expression of what has taken place on the inside. When a person is lowered down into the water, it is a picture of the death of Christ and the burial of Christ. And when they come out of the water, it is a picture of what? Resurrection. The resurrection of Christ. But it, it is, it's a dual picture as well. What is the other picture? The old, the, the old man dying and raising to walk in newness of life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Baptism is an important, important part of who we are as believers of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, I have given you a lot of information, and I am... <clears throat> very thirsty right now so <clears throat> let me say this i'll be done i i if if you've ever been here when i do a baptism i always use this as a symbol because i think it's a good way for us to picture what takes place in baptism this is a picture 
of a promise that I made to you 37 plus years ago. January 2nd, 1982. I stood and I vowed my love to my wife. And this is a symbol of that love. Now, I have taken it off and I've set it down. Does that mean I am no longer married? No. It has nothing to do with the vow that I made 37 plus years ago. In fact, for the majority of our married life, I I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I play with it a lot. You know, I'm 58 years old. I've only worn this thing for like, what, 10 years? It it, it irritates me. (laughs) I'm not used to it. it, After 10 years, you would think I wouldn't play with it anymore, but I'm I'm still not used to it. Why? Because the career fields I was in, it was dangerous for me to wear. And they didn't have rubber (laughs) rings like (laughs) the guys have today. What am I saying? Baptism is is equivalent to this. I wear it because I love my wife and I want everybody in the world to know that I love my wife. I got baptized back 40-ish years ago because I wanted everybody to know what had taken place. That's what it is. And never forget what our Christian forefathers have gone through so that we today could be able to do this. Let's pray.